Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Sands, man, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. We should preface this by saying you used to be a student at Game Art Institute, right? Yes, I was. Yep. And you are not any longer. What are you doing now? Currently, I'm actually working as a freelance artist. I just finished working on Diablo Immortals. And the next project I'm on is kind of unannounced, so I can't really talk about it. But just working from home over the past 14 months. As a freelancer for the last 14 months? Yes, I actually work for a company that does outsource work for a lot of the AAA titles around. Okay, so when we're talking Diablo, like uh, how long ago did you start that? I actually started that about, I would say, five months ago. It was a five-month period that they had a lot of character tasks for Diablo. And working remotely, you know, it's same as going to the, to the studio. Like it's just similar yeah. in that sense that you have to set your hours. But you get the concept arts sent to you and then you start working every couple of days. You have to submit your work and the art directors review it to give you feedback. Very similar to studio, only difference is that you're not actually in a studio instead of going to your art director's desk or they coming to you is sort of done through a uh, through either email or through some sort of a web organization that you submit work, you get your feedback, make the adjustments, and then continue. Got it. And where were you working before Diablo? I was at Ubisoft Toronto for about four years. Uh, worked on Watch Dogs 2 and worked on Watch Dogs Legion for, yeah, about four years. And what were you doing right before that? Before that, I was a student. <laughs> I was there a student. Go. I was going to uh, George Brown uh, College here, and I was mm-hmm. also taking courses on uh, at, actually at your institution, GAI. Cool. What got you that first job at Ubisoft? Do you know? Like, do you remember the character or the project? It was actually I had just finished my first year at George Brown College. Ubisoft Toronto was holding a contest. We had to make a environment diorama in a real-time engine, either Unity or Unreal Engine. And mm-hmm. they were awarding uh, summer internships to three people, uh, to three of the winners. Yeah. I got one of the internships over the summer, and uh, they put me on Watch Dogs 2 project at the time. And after the summer was up, they offered me a permanent full-time position. And I sort of just dropped out of school and took that and ran with it. There you go. So it was, the, it was an actual competition yes. that got you in there. Do you remember what the character was? It wasn't actually a character. It was a environment. It was a uh, military base environment. Did you study uh, made it. character or environment? Because uh, I remember you doing a uh, character. Well, what happened was my school program was supposed to be first year was environment art and then second year was character art. But mm-hmm. I never really got to do that, which is why I started taking character art courses on GAI. Right. So to continue that, yeah. Okay, got it. When you did the internship, because there's a couple of people I know that started those those internships a couple of years ago, they were surprised by how much they got to do. Did you get to work on some cool stuff? Were you doing a lot more than, you know, just running and getting coffee? Well, I was very fortunate because at Ubisoft, they even told us on the first day that they weren't bringing interns just to do minuscule tasks. Like we were just put straight onto the game, onto Watch Dogs mm-hmm. 2. We, at mm-hmm. the time, they were in pre-production. So they were making the vertical slice of the game. So there was like a lot of stuff going into this internal demo that had to be done. And we went straight into modeling. They started giving me props to model for this little area that we were working on. And yeah. and yeah, from day one, it was just modeling stuff, putting them in the engine. 
That's great. So what is it that people need to learn? And I'm going to segue myself to kind of talk about students because, you know, you're a successful student, not just, you know, from my school, but also from the university. So what is it that students need to kind of know right off the bat to be successful in an internship like that, let's say? What is really important, in my opinion, like the most important thing is to be adaptable. Because every studio, and not just studio, but every project within a studio is going to have its own unique pipeline, its own unique workflows, its own unique software that you have to use to stay consistent with all the other artists that are working working on mm-hmm. the same game. Because nowadays, games are made across multiple studios across across the world. Outsource studios is not just one place where games are made anymore, one building, you know? So having to stay within a very tight pipeline, a very tight workflow is, is important to keep everything together. And being adaptable. So what I suggest is to learn the foundations and the basics of the software instead of learning the tools. So that way, if you have to translate from 3ds Max to Maya or from Maya to Modo or to Blender, you know the basics, you know what you need to do in those software. It makes it a lot easier to learn. Okay. And now, I remember, you know, you're, you're a hardworking artist. Right? You know, I remember, you know, you just, you produced work, you worked your butt off. So, you know, I, I can imagine adaptable makes sense. It's like, but what, if you can get me a little bit more detail, because sometimes some, some people that are getting into this are a little bit time starved. So, you know, they may only have so many hours a week. What does that mean? Adaptable? Is there any red flags where it's like, if you don't know this, they might ask you to do X, Y, and Z, and you're just going to be lost. Well, okay. I can give you that in terms of character art. If you're a character artist, one of the most important things that the studios wouldn't really teach you is the basic art, for example, the anatomy. Those are stuff that they expect you to know going into the studio. What mm-hmm. they do teach you when you're at the studio as an intern, and it's okay to not know, it's how to work their engine or how to, for example, if you're a 3DS Max user, how, you know, they give you a little bit of time to get familiar with Maya. For example, I actually was a 3DS Max user in school. And when I got my job at Ubisoft, we had to use 3ds Max as well, so I got lucky with that. But then a project that I had to work on after Ubisoft, one of the freelance works, it was in Maya. So I had to teach myself how to how to use Maya. And but mm-hmm. but what really helped me with that was I knew what I had to do. I knew the tools I needed to use. It makes it easy to Google the equivalency, like how do you extrude a face in Maya, or how do you do a blend shape in Maya, or whatnot. You can Google that. So that you know that sort of helped me out. But if you're right. If you're a student and if your time is constrained and you're trying to get into the get into the industry and find work, so many times I see people get distracted by details and by mm-hmm. tech and by tools. But the most important thing is is the foundation of your work, the proportions, the shapes, the anatomy. So many times I see people move past that and go into the detail work, which is I suppose it's a little bit more fun when you're adding the details and doing the textures. But if you don't pay attention to your forms underneath everything, it sort of all falls apart. And that's what really art directors look for when they're going through portfolios. They look to see who has the foundation skills, who has Mm -hmm. their art foundations down pat. I mean, I guess to paraphrase, is it fair to say that they're looking for people who are trainable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the industry moves so quickly and things change so much with new software, new tools coming out in software. Everybody's always learning new things and adjusting their workflow. It's more important to show that you have the potential to learn rather than if you know everything off the bat, you know? I get that. But, and this is the thing that kind of gets me when we have this conversation, like I understand anatomy and, and foundation in that sense, but then you get into things like substance and, you know, there's, 
you have to learn how to use that tool to even approach the foundation of texturing, right? And like, what's the difference between a texture that looks like it's ba- you, you've basically thrown a dirt noise or a purlin noise at it versus something that looks authentic? Yes. You know, there is, I wish I could say it was easy, but it's not. I mean, learning the foundations, as you said, sometimes involves learning particular software, as such as Substance Painter. Like, it's become the industry standard. Once you learn your foundations, obviously, to be able to put those foundations to use, you have to learn the tools as well. It's not that you can ignore the tools, but it's hard. There is a lot of software. I can tell you that I have about five years, a little over five years of experience working on AAA titles now. And I see myself as a student still. I'm constantly taking courses and making sure that I'm continuing my education. You know, it will never stop. You have to constantly learn. You know, it was, uh, I think it was about a year ago or so, I had a surf coach. And uh, we're in the water and he's like talking about his background. And he's like, yeah, you know, I started surfing when I was 12. I I, uh, never went to college. I've been basically doing this 24-7. And then he goes, you know, I I wish I would have focused on being a doctor. (laughs) 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 I wish I would have put some of that time into being a doctor. Because, you know, he's still hustling and he's out of the competition. He's aged out a little bit. We work hard as artists, right? Yep. What's the upside for you? The upside is honestly, for me personally, is when, when a task is finished and it's that moment where I'm plugging the textures in either in the engine or on Marmoset and looking at the whole thing, the joy I get out of that, there are very few things that give me that much joy. So the upside is, is the end result of all the work you put in and then you see it all come together. Got it. Along these lines, I was looking around for you. Do you exist on the internet? Because I couldn't find you on uh, ArtStation or anywhere. Uh, that's, that's a funny story. Actually, I do have my personal portfolio website, but uh, see, my, my friends keep telling me, you gotta, you gotta get yourself on ArtStation. And I'm a little self-conscious about getting my work out there. I know it's mm-hmm. bad. I should yeah. get it out there, but I'm always like, I will get it up there as soon as I finish just one more thing I'm working on or polish this one little thing. And then that's like a never ending cycle, right? Got to get it out there. It is. Yeah. But how are you getting work if you're not out there? Actually, I got very fortunate while I was working at Ubisoft, someone that used to work at Ubisoft, he was a senior concept artist, actually recommended me for a job. It's it was it's mostly networking, really. Mm-hmm. Just getting to know people, people that you worked with in the past, you know, keeping in touch and yeah, work comes around. Does that include events and, you know, hitting up I don't know about Trojan Horse, um, but some yeah, Trojan Horse, some of the other events are coming into like I think ZBrush Summit's coming up pretty soon. Honestly, I've never been to any of those because I live in Toronto and we don't really mm-hmm. have that much here. So I would have no idea. But I mean, the best way to get yourself noticed is to go on ArtStation, get yourself out there. Don't be like me. Don't hide away. I've, <laughs> I've made a goal to get my ArtStation running by the end of the year. Um, mm-hmm. it's my, you know, It was my uh, New Year's resolution this year, so I'm going to get it done. It will be up there by the end of this year. But yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, it's you have to put yourself out there. I know it can be scary. I know for sure, because all the eyes are going to be on your work when you put it out there and you want to make yeah. sure it's perfect, but no work is ever perfect. So, and the know, longer, and the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. I'll tell you from my own experience, <laughs> you got to put it out. So what is it makes us hesitate to putting our stuff online? What is it that stops us from doing that? I think it's different for every person, but mm-hmm. for me personally is that my situation was I was a student for a very short time before mm-hmm. I got the opportunity to work professionally. Yeah. And that 
Well, it was a great thing, and I'm very grateful for it. In a lot of ways, it sort of helped me back in some other ways that I never really got the time to be a student, be that guy mm-hmm. that just did art for the joy of art. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And totally. Never really had that post-grad year where you're putting everything you've learned for three, four years into making your portfolio. I was just kind of thrown in there and started working professionally, and then it's just job after job, which is I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, I never really had that opportunity to find my niche, find mm-hmm. my passion in particular genres. So that's actually, I think, what's holding me back is because I want to sort of create my own style. Because when you're working professionally, you have to adapt your style to whatever the art direction of the project that you're working on is, right? Totally. Um, You have the styles you have to go for. So for me, it's that. And then, you know, right away, my work went from being compared as a student saying, oh, this is really good for a student to suddenly overnight, your work is in the professional realm and being compared to famous artists and people that have you know, 15 years of experience, you're right next to them. And it just gets very intimidating. I totally relate. You know, it's like, uh, I scored that job at Pixelogic within six months of leaving school. And so within a year of leaving school, suddenly my name was on everybody's lips because I was basically, it had nothing to do with me. It's just, (laughs) I worked for a really cool company and I was in a great position to kind of share the love. But that cost me years of just doubt and insecurity. But then I learned that one thing that I think what's really neat about what you said was the way one of my coaches talked about it is it's like you had to, I had to go into the art studio of my heart. This particular coach was very flowery. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it was like, you just got to like, you don't have to share your work. You know, nobody on this planet says you've got to share your work. You got to make work. That's a definite, like that is a rule in this world. Like you may not put stuff on art station, but that doesn't mean you're not producing work, right? Yep. So you got to produce work, but you have to do it for yourself. And I think that's one of the things that's really hard because we get so transactional. It's like, okay, I'm going to do a night, you know, because maybe that'll work for this game, right? Or Cyberpunk 2077 is coming out. So maybe I'll make a character that's got like, you know, Mohawk, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. So how are you handling this now? Like, is there a particular strategy or way that you're kind of approaching to kind of find your own style? Actually, this goes back to my whole situation and how the industry is changing, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with a gentleman named Batch Singh. I hope I'm not totally butchering his name. He's the lead huh? character artist at uh, Creative Assembly and yeah, works on yeah, the Warhammer, Warhammer yep. series. Yep. He did a, I was reading an interview from him, and he said that what he looks for when people apply for positions at his studio, and he talked about how an individual artist's personal work is more important to him and he's reviewing portfolios than their professional work because it shows their passion, it shows you know what they're really passionate about and what they can do. So this is an industry that expects applicants to have personal work on the side of their professional work. Well, what is becoming difficult, especially as newer students, when you're entering the industry at entry level or as a junior artist, you're going into, into a big studio, be it EA, Activision, Ubisoft, anywhere. When you're going there, you're starting at, at a lower salary. Obviously, you're starting as an intern, you're starting at an entry level. So life is hard at that point because usually sometimes the salaries don't really match the cost of living of the area. Yeah. So you're working at the studio. You're also kind of working on the side, picking up art projects or maybe not even art related projects just to kind of, you know, keep your life rolling. You know, you're saying it's the start of your career you're building on. Mm-hmm. Then there is the infamous crunch of the game industry that, that happens at every studio at varying levels. So you kind of sit there and go, okay, I don't have time to work on my personal projects. I have all this passion, but when do I get to do this? You know, Mm -hmm. you either have a long commute to work or you're crunching or you're picking up some side jobs to kind of, you know, 
because life is life is life. And then what's happening in the game industry right now is, as a lot of people may be aware, is outsourcing is becoming very common in production. And that's not really to to save money as much as it is the fact that 90% of assets in a game are created during the production period, which in a game that has a two to three year production cycle, the production period itself, it's only eight to 14 months. And that crunch period, you know, you need 25, 30 character artists. But where are you going to get 25, 30 character artists for such a short amount of time to mm-hmm. hire that many people at your studio? So that's why outsourcing is becoming common. They outsource the work, which is great and makes a lot of sense from an operational standpoint. But what it does to junior artists especially is that somebody has to handle all these outsourced assets that are coming into the studio from five, six different companies. Mm-hmm. So majority of your time at a studio nowadays, especially as a junior, is actually not spent modeling or sculpting or texturing. It's actually grabbing these assets and integrating them into the engine. So with all that going on, as a junior artist, you're, you're at the studio going, I'm not even getting the practice that I need, even <laughs> though I am working on a AAA game. Next thing you know, yeah. four or five, six, seven years passes and you're like, okay, now you are an intermediate or you're a senior artist, but you still don't have a portfolio. You still don't have the personal work that everybody's looking for when you go to apply for jobs and any in a very difficult position. So what you have to do, and this is what I've had to come to terms with, is that you're responsible for your own life. So you have to make sure that whatever work it is that you're doing, it allows you the time, that personal time to be an artist, not, not a professional artist, not an employee just be an artist where you sit down and you make things you're passionate about. You're taking courses and you're advancing your skills because you have to constantly do that in this field. And that was one of the major factors in me deciding to kind of take a break from the studio work and go the freelance route because as the freelance route, I'm only modeling and texturing. Mm-hmm. Like in the one year that I've done freelance, I've created more content than I did in the four years working at a studio, just to kind of give you the comparison of mm. how much you're doing. So that is incredibly important. So what I suggest is to always make sure you're creating a life situation for yourself where you can give yourself two to three days a week, even if it's just the evenings, three, four hours a day, to work on your personal projects, work on courses that you have taken or watching tutorials, however you obtain new new knowledge, because things move fast in this industry and Almost all the applicants, all the art directors, all the character leads are expecting to see personal work in your portfolio when you're Mm. applying to jobs as a character artist. Now, you mentioned courses. And is that something you recommend that people do is go out and take courses? Or because I come from the mindset that there's an element of distraction to that. Well, I experienced both uh, both traditional college for game Mm -hmm. development and online courses. I can tell you that the one year, my program was actually four years, and I mm. only spent one year at it, yeah. was more expensive than all the courses I have taken in my career combined. <laughs> and it maybe <laughs> taught me less than 5% of what I've learned from all the other courses that are online. My yeah, suggestion yeah. is to take individual, individualized, uh, focused courses, whether it's through GAI or through CGMA, courses where a current industry employee, a, a current experienced senior character artist or environment mm. artist is teaching mm. a crash course on how they're doing it in the industry today. Mm. The traditional college, in my opinion, doesn't work in this industry. The way traditional colleges go about teaching is too slow for the, you know, for the pace that this industry moves forward. Right. They're never going to be able to catch up. Yeah. Have you ever been asked where you went to school? I get asked by students and, and you know, I honestly tell them, I tell them that 
I went but, to school for one year, George Brown. But yeah, I tell them I, I take courses online and I give them some of the websites that I've taken courses at. What about recruiters? I've had a few recruiters message me. They never really ask that, actually. I mean, everybody in this industry looks at your portfolio and your portfolio first and foremost. They don't even look at your resume. Like, I don't think anybody would even read my resume to find out what titles I've worked on if unless they're they like something the same in my portfolio and then they want to learn more about me, you know? And I think nobody really is going to look at you and say, oh, you have a, uh, you know, bachelor's from this university or from that college, so we're going to hire you. That every application is going to stay where's your portfolio. <laughs> That's the first mm-hmm. thing they want to look at. And mm-hmm. if your portfolio is good, you could have zero experience in the industry. You could have no formal education, but if you've produced the work, they're going to give you an art test at the very least and get you started if they like what they see in your work. It's all about your work. Now, you work freelance, you've worked in studio, you've done both, and yet this art test. This art test, I like to get hear what people think about art tests, because in we're one of the only industries that do this, and you know, there's different reasons and whatnot, but what's your feeling like on the art test? Like what's the purpose of it? How how do you kind of make that work for you as an artist? Because that's a lot of work to do for free. Yes. I actually haven't done that many art tests. I've only done one. Mm-hmm. from what I can remember. And it was very difficult. I couldn't even finish it because I was working full-time. And I did let the particular studio know that I was working full-time. I said, you know, we're crunching at the moment. And they said, sorry, the only you know time frame we have is only the, the seven days to do this task. And, and to me, it was impossible to finish that task in seven days if you could only spend two, three hours a night on it because you're working full-time. So, I mean... I guess I do see it in a way because, unfortunately, it's one of those cases of the few bad apples sort of things, but you could have a lot of work in your portfolio that's not really yours. And what happens is when you're working, say, at a studio, and you don't really, it's very rare to make a character from head to toe at a studio, everything, you know, mm-hmm. and put it in your portfolio. Like, oftentimes when I was on Watch Dogs, we were like making, like, I was modeling a jacket, someone else was modeling a pants, someone else was modeling the head, someone else was doing hair, and then it all kind of comes together, right, as a full character. So when people are presenting their work, especially, this is even more common with environment artists, they can take, like, a very nice screenshot of a very good-looking game environment, but the person that's hiring can't really tell what part of this did this particular individual had influence on, you know? So because of that, sometimes they want to give an artist to make sure to, so they, they know exactly where your skills work, other reasons for this, sometimes they like the work that you've done, but it's not, like, for example, you may have a lot of historical assets in your portfolio and they really like the quality of your work, but they're making a sci-fi game. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, we don't know if this guy can do sci-fi or not, so we need to give him an artist. I understand that from that perspective and that's why it's really done. But the downside of it is artists are, they usually make the time very, 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 very tight because they want to see how you work under pressure. Which that's the part that I don't really like because it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of work that you have to spend seven, eight days of basically taking time off from every other job to do that. And then you may or may not even get the work at the end of it. But if you're working full time, I wish you luck with that because it's very difficult to do an art test when you're employed full time. That's almost the opportunity, though, for newbies, right? Yes. If you don't have a job and you do get an art test and you're not working, my suggestion is to just... Put everything you have on that art test for those few days. Like, don't waste even an hour of your day. I know it's hard, it's difficult, but it is one of the best ways. If you land an art test, it's one of the best ways to get your foot in the door. One of our students right now is actually going through that. Paused the, all the boot camp work and um, last a week and a half. It's just been marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. Just yes. design, just work in that to to nail that. 
because you know it's the window it's a window of opportunity it only comes so often yep absolutely what did you guys use on um watchdog i was sitting there looking through some of the some of the artwork so when you're modeling this are you using marvelous designer or for watchdogs legion or watchdogs 2 because which one you used work on? Oh, i yeah. worked on both tell me uh watchdogs 2 was uh a lot of marvelous designer work and mm-hmm. then sculpted in zbrush uh yeah. watchdogs legion was a lot of 3d scans we worked with uh, with a lot of lots and lots of scan data for closing. Interesting. Did you have an outsource facility kind of do the scans, or did you guys build that internal? No, we, we Ubisoft built that internal at our at our studio. Oh well, that, it's it's Ubisoft, so that makes yeah they'd have the capacity <laughs> to yes, literally that's... develop the game tech for the most part. Yeah. Okay, they built that in-house. Do you remember, uh, this might be kind of outside your scope, but do you remember if it was like one of those big camera units or if it's somebody's using? Uh, what we did for the, for the closing, the studio at the time was, was building the big dome uh, 3D right. you know, scanning yeah. you know, whole facility that was being built, but we needed it sooner for closing. And what we did is we actually used the three camera set up with a rotating mannequin that would rotate and would take the, it would automatically take the shots from all the angles. Uh, okay. three cameras and then we'll transfer that data it was a lot of cleanup it, it was involved with the process but yeah that was that was what we did at the time all right you probably got some some kind of shift as the turntable moved no i mean i can't imagine uh, uh the turntable we actually the way the the tech person set it up was kind of clever he actually had a little button he was it was a turntable and he would press the button and he had synced it with the cameras and he would like turn at like i think we had it at 25 degrees angles Mm-hmm. It, but it was very solid. We got we got very good results of that. The cleanup comes in the fact that it's a it's a 3D scan. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're doing it in a dome or whether you're you're doing it with three cameras. It's there are a lot of the areas that sometimes doesn't get the detail, and then you have to yeah. fit it to your characters and all that stuff. Got it. So, what would be the advantage of scans over Marvelous Designer? Because you know, I think people are still using scans. Why would you not just go right to Marvelous? There is actually different opinions on this I've noticed in the industry, and mm-hmm. uh, and I can show you my opinion. And then uh, having worked with both, I can tell you that Marvelous Designer, it's great for making your drapes, but it doesn't really. It's it's still a lot of work. If you were, for example, making a making a very authentic worn leather jacket, right? Uh, you can you can get the shapes in Marvelous, but there's a lot of sculpting that's involved. Now the downside to scanning is the good side to scanning is you get all that detail. The downside to scanning is not just the cleanup time, but it's also the fact that to me, when when a scan item goes into a game, is that the scan folds are so perfect to the mm. pose of whether it's a mannequin or the person that's standing there. So when that starts getting animated in a game setting with with, with the limits of of the rigging in a game, to me it almost feels like you grab the real life image of someone and you know cut it out and started moving it with your fingers. It sort of breaks it. I've seen it in games, and I'm personally a big fan of it. What I personally think is actually the best way at the moment to handle it is to mix the two together to actually create your closing in Marvelous Designer, and then project either create alphas from the scans or project certain parts of the scan that has very nice high frequency detail onto your model that is very nicely fitted and draped and simulated on the avatar that you're using. That makes sense. So scan, let's say uh, the example I remember early on back in the day when I worked at Pixelogic, Naughty Dog uh, wasn't sculpting the backpacks, they were scanning it. Because you you could get much more authentic in the folds. But in clothing, jeans, for example, like I'm looking at Watch Dogs 2 and um, Bartolome, Valerie, and that looks like Marvelous Designer. Yes. With some generic kind of memory folds. Beautiful. But yeah, it looks like that's quite animatable. 
when you get we get into out of clothing into skin is that something you've had to deal much with sorry with skins skin yeah real uh, yes so what i'm trying to really understand is like how important is skin and let's say facial this the face how important is that for people who are looking to get that first job again it comes down to what the studio is looking for for example a lot of the bigger studios they opt to scan actors and then you kind of go through the process of cleaning that up and, you know, sculpting the parts or the unique features that the character may have. But it always starts with a 3D scan. It is incredibly important. And a lot of people think that if you're grabbing a, a head scan, then it's OK. You don't really need to know your anatomy because it's all there. But I, I tell you, you need to know more anatomy than if you were sculpting a head from a base mesh yourself, because <laughs> you have something that's ultra realistic there. But now you have to modify it to fit the concept art of a character that's that's mm-hmm. a made up fantasy character. And you need to know your anatomy inside out to be able to sculpt those changes in middle of a sea of ultra realistic content that's right in front of you and not mess it up, you know? <laughs> yeah, so it's not like big big red flag like, oh, exactly. you did this because it doesn't look realistic. Like, you oh, you yeah, did the screwed happens. up part. <laughs> yeah, that happens with closing as well. Like, you know, you have this ultra realistic fold and then you may have to like adjust the fold or sculpt a different fold in a particular area. If you're not able to mimic that, it it just stands out because everything mm-hmm. else is so ultra realistic next to it, you know? Do you find that you have to get in the flow or in the mood when you're sculpting? Like if you start a new project, like let's say, you know, it's a, okay, now Sans is, you know, th- I, mean, I need you to sculpt this face. Like, are you expected to just be like, okay, I'm going to just sculpt this face and I'll bang this out in six hours and then I'll go and I'll do pants tomorrow and I'll go do something else like this? Or do you find that you have to, you have to get into the flow? I wish, I mean, I'd like to get into the flow, but usually you don't have the time for that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, you get your task, you have the set amount of days to get it done. And it's panic. Every task is panic at the start. And then once you get through the uh, past the first few hours, you kind of go, okay, I got this. This is going. It's going to get done soon. But yeah, it's usually the time frame that they give you is so intense, but it be it at a studio or whether you're working freelance that you don't really have time to think about other things. You just have to grab your task and go. And you'll get used to that after you do it a few times. How about freelance life? Because you're not like you don't have the feedback from having somebody right there and they could basically dismiss you in an email how's that work when you've got that that kind of lack of connection i guess that's tough actually because you know i'm used to working around people you have your colleagues next to you you know it's it's easier to bounce ideas but when you when you're working freelance you're working from home you do have the luxury of kind of setting up your own time it's in your it's your own space you have all the luxuries of that. But at the same time, it gets a little bit lonely. And when it comes to getting feedback, it can be a little bit of a problem because usually the person you're working for may be halfway across the country. There is there's uh, language barriers sometimes a little bit. There is time zone barriers. You know, you may have a small question about something, but it may take an entire day to get that answered. And you can't really pause your work for an entire day, you know, so you have to keep going. And that's why it becomes even more important. It's always important, but even more important as freelance artists to whatever workflow you're using to try to avoid linear workflows so that your workflows are very organic. You can go back and make changes as you're working. That's that's really, really important. Got it. Got a question here. Gus, as a freelancer, is it easy to have like continuous flow of clients? How do you manage to get new clients? At the moment, I'm actually working for a company as sort of a remote position that they, you know, so I have continuous work from them at the moment because they mm-hmm. get different projects and then they send me work to do. The downside to freelance is always going to be that you never know where where your next work is going to come from. That's that's mm-hmm. the downside to it. But at the same time, even 
unless you're working for a really big established studio like Ubisoft or Activision or EA. That's going to be the case with a lot of other studios as well, because you're hired usually on a contract and you don't know this is, it's hard, but I try not to think about that. I just try to focus on my work and, you know, just kind of go with it. You can't really control things you don't have control over, you know? Yeah, it's a uh, cash flow is like the bane of my existence as a business owner. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to one of my neighbors, uh, lives up the street and he, he quit his job and he does his own consulting. So he's basically a freelancer. He has his own business and it, he started, you know, and he's excited. He's got all these clients. And then within six weeks, he's like, I have no money. I don't, I don't. <laughs> so, you know, he'd forgot to bill his clients and then his clients take, once you bill your clients and it takes, you know, it depends on your terms. Is it net 30? You know, and sometimes it's even more. Do you have terms like that with your people? No, I have a very set salary per day right. sort of right. rate. And yeah, they've been very, it's, it's very easy in that sense. Rashid is asking about cover letters. And you've already kind of said, you know, people don't even, they just look at your portfolio. But do, do recruiters read cover letters? Do you think those are important? Personally, when I apply for a job, I always try the cover letter. And the reason is, uh, right now we're in sort of this digital age where we're submitting our resumes online. And when you mm-hmm. write a cover letter, it shows the recruiter, it shows the company or the studio that you're applying for that you are specifically interested in the position of the woman. You're not just clicking sense and send on your portfolio and your totally. resume. Yeah. And I think that when you're applying, always take that time to write a unique cover letter for every position that you that you apply at. That makes sense. Yeah, because I hire too. And it's, yeah. you know, you know when you're getting that resume that's just like send, 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 send. You know, it's nice if yeah. somebody actually has uh, words to exactly. you. Exactly. Do you play games? Oh, absolutely. It's a huge gamer <laughs> growing up. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. have as much time for it these days, but yeah, I try, I definitely try to make time to play games every now and then. Do you think it's imperative that people be gamers for this job? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's imperative for people to be interested in visual art, be it movies, be it uh, games, be it uh, as a character artist. That is, if you were if you were a tech artist, then I would say, yes, it's absolutely crucial that you see exactly how they're doing things in video games. But as the character artist, as a character artist side of it, mm-hmm. uh, it's just important to always be inspired. When I was at Ubisoft, uh, Mr. Crash McGuire actually came over. Ah. Uh, for a uh, for a little seminar and a little sort of chat. And I actually asked him the question. I asked him, how do you avoid burning out? Because it feels like we're in an industry that is so competitive that it that I feel like, you know, every every hour you're not working, you're kind of falling behind. And he said something that kind of stuck with me. His answer to my question was he said, you know, as an artist, you're constantly expected to output content, you know, output content, output content, output content rapidly. But mm-hmm. he said at some point, if you're not taking any input, you have nothing to output anymore. And then, you know, without even through some sort of some examples and some stories he had on some of the projects he worked on, how just stepping away from it all and going on like a little vacation for a few days and coming back just sort of had ideas coming to him. Because it's like you need to go get input from life to then come sit at your computer and be able to output it as digital art. And that kind of stuck with me. I, I thought it was it's a very important thing not to get lost in this race to constantly improve yourself and, and, you know, because it's a very competitive field, you have to remember that you have to recharge and you have to go and take those inputs from life. What do you do to recharge? I have built this little ritual for myself where Mm -hmm. I have my set hours. I wake up in the morning, make my coffee, work usually from 9.30 until 6.30, 7 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I take a walk through our, through this park area that we have that leads to a Starbucks. I go there, grab a cup of coffee, read my book. 
I always read every day at least a few chapters and then walk back and that refreshes me and get ready for the next workday. Mm, I like that. I experienced a similar thing with reading because sometimes I get addicted to news and uh, that does not make me feel good. But then I go and I open up my Kindle and I'm reading and that has a, it's a, it's a different feeling. Yeah. What do you read if I can ask? I actually like to read a lot of either historical novels or fantasy novels. And uh, I'm actually currently reading uh, one of the Warhammer novels. And because my personal project is a Warhammer character, too. So just kind of like reading and getting inspired by the book and the way they describe everything. And then, you know, coming home and spending a couple hours on my Warhammer character that I'm making at the moment. That's awesome. When you deal with the high poly and low poly, do you have a polygon count or a way that you kind of think about getting the low poly out of it. And I'm asking because when people are working, when students are working on this, you know, they tend to think about the low poly in terms of in-game. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that I like to stress is your first job is to get attention. So how do you think about the low poly in relation, you know, to your personal work? The poly count for your personal work doesn't matter. With that said, that doesn't mean you can go grab the 2 million polygon from ZBrush and put it in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. The important thing is to show that you understand the high poly to low poly workflow, baking mm-hmm. from a high poly to low poly. Now, whether, for example, your low poly chess piece is 5,000 triangles or 20,000 triangles, it doesn't matter. As long as you did the workflow, you have your high poly, your low poly, you baked your textures, and then you textured it. My advice for your portfolio is don't put a technical restriction on your asset when there is no technical restriction. It's more important to show the workflow, but then make the asset look good. Put the edges to get the circles to be perfectly round. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to ask you, what was the poly count of this character that you made? Because everybody knows if you know how to make a really good character and you understand topology and workflow, you can reduce that if need be. Especially nowadays that that's being handled automatically by software like SimpleGon. You Mm. don't even make LODs by hand anymore. So it's more important to show the workflow than it is to have a particular poly count budget for your personal projects. Is the low res something that you like to do yourself or are you a believer in proceduralism and automatic, like Houdini? Houdini's uh, Marcin Clickus at CD Projekt Red, he was talking about, they use Houdini now. For character art, because that's where my focus is, I haven't really found a automatic topology solution that sort of works the Mm. way I like. Uh, What I started doing is I actually, for example, if it's a complex piece, like, for example, a female chess piece where you have the breast and you want to do a quick topology, it could kind of get a little bit time consuming to try to route your topology, keep your quads and make it all clean and nice. So what I do is, for example, I just go in there and get the edges in the important areas, like around the edges of the neckline and like the the shoulder line and stuff, and then just kind of make all these triangles and then quickly import it to ZBrush get a ZRE measure by drawing a guide because I already have a kind of foundation and ZBrush sort of figures the center area out for me very quickly. And then I put it back into Maya and like extrude it and work on it. So I'm kind of doing a half and half, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, It does. Yeah. Do you think it was luck that got you your job or skill? I think it was, it was both. It was definitely a lot of hard work because in those, in those couple of years as a student, I worked really hard. I mean, I was, I was working 13, 14 hours a day just on my projects and on, you know, on school projects or the, the project for the contest. But also I was fortunate that Ubisoft was holding a contest at the time, you know, <laughs> like the year before that, they didn't have that contest for 3D mm-hmm. modelers. And they just happened to have it. That was the first round they were having it for 3D models that year. Something to also keep in mind is that if you're very serious about getting in the game industry, you have to understand that studios are not, are going to be very hesitant to pay for relocation 
or sponsor or get a visa for you or any of that stuff for a junior artist. That's just the reality of it. It sucks. But if you want to get your foot in the door, you're going to have a much bigger shot if you're a local artist. So if you're really serious about getting in this industry, consider moving to cities that have a lot of game studios around, such as Montreal, Quebec, you know, Vancouver, uh, in BC, you know, find the cities that are near you, places that are sort of hub for game development, because you're going to have a much bigger shot as a junior or entry-level artist if you're local. Because I honestly, I don't know of a single case where an entry-level person was sponsored or relocated by a company. You know what I mean? They usually look for local artists for those positions. Yeah, I remember uh, Vitaly Bolgarov, his first job was Blizzard. But I, you know, I don't know if you could call that an entry level. And then they hired somebody else. They brought in Visa, but they ended up losing their shirt on that. They, he decided to quit and went back. So they lost money on, on that Visa process. Yeah. All right. So you side with hard work in the presence of luck. I think you kind of make your own luck. You know, luck is, in my opinion, if you're a hard worker, if you're really passionate, you're working on your portfolio, you're working on on your craft and you're putting it out there. Uh, luck only determines how soon you get there. You'll eventually get there. I'm confident that if you're if you're working nonstop, there is a lot of work for modelers out there. Luck only helps you get there a little bit quicker sometimes. You know, it's like a shortcut, but it's not a requirement. That's great. So in terms of work, where do you stand in terms of work versus talent? Uh, sorry, what do you mean with that exactly? Hey, you know, is it important to have talent? Is it something you're born with? Is it something that you work for? You know, I don't think any of us are born with with the ability to draw or the ability to sculpt or the ability to use ZBrush. I think our brains all work differently, though. And we are, I think that each individual is more uh, receptive to certain information. Some people are more receptive to, for example, visual information. Some are more receptive to linear information. That's why some people become better, better at math and some are better at art. And sometimes, you know, some people become better at sports. They learn it quicker. But I think that if you're a hard worker and you're very honest with yourself, you'll find out very quickly. You don't need other people telling you whether you have the mentality to succeed in whatever field that you've chosen or you don't. And for me, I didn't uh, know that I wanted to be a game artist until I was 25, 24, 25. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I really just started learning how to do any of this six years ago. And then after a year, I, I managed to find a job because I got lucky and you know I was working hard at the time. But one, it's never too late to pursue what you love. But at the same time, if you're really honest with yourself, you'll know after you spend about a year or a year and a half, two years, if you really have the mentality to pursue that field. Because the other fields that I had chosen before it became clear to me that it wasn't something I was passionate about, you know? So I ended up just finally saying, you know what, I'm going to go do something that I'm really passionate about in life. What else did you, did you think you might do? Uh, Before that, I was actually going into, (laughs) believe it or not, marketing and sales and business. That's, that's where I wanted to go originally. And it's just, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you kind of get pushed into that field. You know, sometimes it's peer pressure, sometimes it's family pressure, but (laughs) If you're honest with yourself, like I was, I spent a couple of years, I'm like, you know what, this is not for me. I'm not going to be successful in this because it's not a passion, you know? And then as soon as I started 3D art, I just knew after two, three months, I was like, you know what, I, I'm getting this. This is something I get. And I can, so I just kept going at it, you know? Did you have family support helping you or did they, were they supportive of this? At the start, not really. Mm. <laughs> you know, 
they were like, uh, well, because you know what, you know what your parents usually say, they're like, oh, you just want to play video games for the rest of your life. I was like, <laughs> it's not quite the same thing. It's not. But I think that they came around when they realized that it became real. You know, uh, like I started working and I started, you know, making a living off of it and, and they've been very supportive since. Mm, but that must have been a long journey. I mean, you know, it took some time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it was just one of those things for me where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, give this my all, you know, I'm going to give this my all in one way or another, I'm going to succeed at this. I just went in it. I went at it with that sort of mentality. Like I didn't even think about, I'm going to sort of test the waters with this. I was like, I'm going to go full on because this is a massive industry. It's not just one position. Like, for example, I got my starting position as an environment artist. And then after a year, I became a character artist, you know, even though characters was always my passion. That's what I always loved to do. It's a huge industry. It, it has a lot of different elements. There's a lot of different positions that people may not even be aware of that exists within studios. If you're really passionate about being part of the game industry, just be a hard worker. There's a lot of work out there. You'll eventually get there. That's awesome. All right, last question, guys. Um, Rashid is asking, any resources that you can recommend when it comes to interpreting the concept? In my experience, working with more experienced artists, they know when to apply a specific curve or straight to get a silhouette to parts of the concept that isn't as clear? In other words, how can you develop the design knowledge? Ooh, that's hard. Something I struggle with all the time as well, especially when it's when it's for professional work and someone's mm -hmm. giving you a concept art and you know, you're seeing it from one or two angles. And oftentimes, and you know, it's a joke I have with concept artists, they get to cheat, you know? They, they, I know, you know right? If something doesn't work, they can't just Photoshop it, put it on the layer, be like, here we go. But then you sit there as a 3D model and go, but how does this piece even work? How does this all get connected together? And this is why I have started, I always do that 3D block out that I showed you. That's where you figure it all out. Mm. Uh, when you're doing that 3D block out, you start to figure out what parts of the concept are not working. If it's your personal work, then you can start putting your own artistic touch. And you know what? Don't be afraid to just dynamite something and draw on it like as if you're scrubbing. Just don't be afraid of that. Try different ideas. Grab your snake hook brush and pull it out and push it in and look at it from different angles. Sometimes I'd like take a render of the block out, take it to Photoshop, do a little paint over on it, just to figure things out. But yeah, that's where the block out helps me. It's not a straight answer. It's hard. It's difficult. But that's why the block out is so important. Mm, that's awesome. Any last words of advice you got for people that are looking to get into this? And, um, you know, maybe they've been trying to get into games for five years. Maybe they're still at their parents' house and their parents are like, you know, you got to get serious. What, what, what can you tell them to help them either stay in the fight or win faster? I have a very pragmatic approach and a very realistic approach. I say is that there are two schools of thoughts in art. One is that you must be open to criticism because critique is what makes you a better artist. And then the second school of thought that kind of goes directly against that is no artwork is ever perfect. Every artwork can be improved on. So what happens is you, if it creates this endless cycle of loop when you're working on a piece, right? Because you keep getting critique because you want to be that artist that takes good critique, but then you also want to strive for perfection. That's where you're asking for critique, but you can never hit perfection. So you go in this endless loop and your work never finishes. So what I suggest is, Start a project, set a deadline for yourself, get critique along the way, but don't go past your deadline. Finish it, completely finish it, even if it's not perfect, because guess what? No artwork is. Then get a final set of critique on your finished work and then say, okay, 
don't just move on to the next points. For example, say that one of the critiques was you didn't get the superciliary arches on your face sculpt, right? And like the anatomy of the of your zygomatic arch was a little bit off, right? Don't mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm going to go make another head and I'm going to do it right this time. Tell yourself, how are you going to obtain the knowledge to do it right next time? And that's what I do. Instead of going and sculpting 100 more heads and making the same mistake 100 times over, I say, okay, based on the critique that I got by this reputable friend or artist or professional, I need a little bit more anatomy knowledge. So what I do is I pull up either anatomy tutorials, anatomy books, anatomy courses, take one of them, and then do my next head. So now I have some new information that's from a reliable source that's going to help me overcome the issues that I had with the previous piece. And sort of do that piece by piece so that you're always improving and you're always learning in a very structured and reputable way and you're obtaining knowledge. Otherwise, it's very easy to get lost in the forest in this industry and in this line of work. That's a great bit of advice. There's so much to learn. So I think taking control of your own education and being clear on what your goals are for the week, the month, the day, whatever, that makes a lot of sense. Sandsman's great, great having this conversation with you. Thank you. It was nice being here. Yeah, congrats on all your success. And um, and thanks for sharing your wisdom and uh, giving us an inside look at your, your work. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.